Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm super excited today. We have a special guest. We have Kurt Perham with us. He's been coaching for well over two decades, um, and I'll let him talk a little bit more about himself. Yeah. Hey, thanks guys for having me. It's uh, I'm like the guy in Maine talking to the two folks in Tucson, but yeah, my name is Kurt Perham. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a coach. I'm an athlete. Uh, I'm an endurance geek. You know, I, I, I tell people in my head is just always spinning thinking about these things, but yeah, I've coached a number of different genres of sport from Nordic skiing to cross country running to triathlon and cycling since really since the late nineties. And um, a little analogy I used on another podcast is my, my, my knowledge is sort of like 10 meters wide, but 200 meters deep. And I know a lot about what I know a lot about and a lot of other things I don't know so much about. So I, I try and stay in my lane on, on all that stuff, but yeah, thanks for having me. It's going to be awesome. And you said like, are you still racing? If so, what sports are you racing at the moment? Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Um, I mean, I have three super busy kids and uh, I kind of took like seven or eight years off from even training. You know, I would like go for bike rides, go for runs, go up to Tucson and slay myself in the spring. But um, I'm making a return. I mean, my originally like sports were in the dirt. So ultra endurance, mountain bike racing. Uh, I'm doing the Breck Epic stage race. I'm doing this race in Park City, Utah called the Park City Point to Point. Um, I've raced cyclocross at a pretty high level over the years. So I'll race like a pretty full season. And I've even considered going over to Europe like later in the winter to, to do some racing. But um, yeah, I mean, I still might jump into some multi-sport here or there, especially like an Xterra or something. <clears throat> but as you know, as the subject of this, this show goes is like, I don't race a lot of long course triathlon as a coach these days, because usually if I go to an event, it's the support of a lot of my athletes and it's, it's hard, right? As you guys have ever tried to do it. It's like, I want to rest but I need to talk to seven people about the races and you're just like, that, that's hard. So, you know, take a race like Ironman, like Classic, I attend every single year, but I only, last time I raced it was 2006, just because it's not, you know, like the day before the race, as I'm sure a lot of you guys are like feet up out of the sun, chilling, you know, trying to avoid all the other stressors. So I try to go to races that a lot of my athletes don't go to. Um, and so, yeah, I'll race it. It's about to get really busy actually. Cause like my, I think with a lot of people, it's very tail end loaded this year, you know, races were on hold until like June ish for a lot of things. And now everything's like floodgates are opening and hopefully they stay open. So. Awesome. And what's the name of your coaching company? Just so people know. Yeah. My coaching company is PBM coaching. It's just pbmcoaching.com, And, uh, you can find us on all the, on all the socials, you know, we're not super active out there, but we're around. Very cool. And we'll let Marilyn say a quick hi too. Hi, everybody. I am here in the background. <laughs> so yeah, today we we are talking about race debriefing. Um, as you just said, like Lake Placid happened recently, and that was kind of the one of the catalysts for this conversation is Marilyn and I were just kind of talking about the race. And I feel like a race like that, that's pretty dynamic. There are a lot of things that you can talk about for how a race actually went. Um, and and yeah, so we were just kind of talking about how like a lot of things happen in a race and you got to really be careful of what you like, what you can parse out and what you can glean from a race because there's, it's kind of multifaceted as far as like, are you looking at the race execution? Are you looking at nutrition? Are you looking at like the pacing? How did that match up with their athletes preparation? Did they kind of throw their preparation out the window and come up with a new strategy at race morning? Um, 
and, and yeah, what, what the actual takeaways can be from that race experience. And I think you can learn a lot from every race. And so, you know, especially if you're like a self-coached athlete and you just go to a race and you execute the race and you're like, okay, well, I, I don't know if I should change anything or, um, or what to do with the information from that race. I think that's kind of what I was hoping we could talk about and give some people some direction as far as maybe what we like to get out from a race and, and what we don't like to bother with or, you know, whatever else. And yeah, have people get a, hopefully a good idea of how much information they can actually take away from, from racing. And like you were saying earlier, it is cool. We get to have this conversation because races are back and looks like, as you said, they're just all stacking up right now. So everybody's starting to race. Uh, so even if you have a quick turnaround, you can probably learn a thing or two from, from the race that just happened. Yeah. I think the one thing too, that's, um, also important to mention is that not, not in the shorter distances, but Ironman specifically, we don't get to practice Ironman. So, you know, like every other, if you're a 5k runner, 10k runner, even if you're a, a bike racer, 40k TT, uh, cyclocross, all these different things, 800 meter runner, all the different events, you, even an Olympic distance triathlete, you, you can practice, um, you can practice your pacing, you can practice different, uh, outcomes. And, and the only time we, obviously you're never going to practice an Ironman unless you race an Ironman. So the debriefing part of thing, things is, is really important. And, and you learn from the good things that happened for sure. And you learn from the mistakes you made or the things that didn't quite turn out the way you want. And it's important to take away from both. Like, what did we do? Well, and what, what didn't go exactly as we had hoped or to our potential, do, do we change something afterwards or do we not need to actually change anything? Was it just isolated to that day in those conditions or, you know, that specific day? Um, like you say, there's so many things we can touch on here, why something might've either went extraordinarily well or extraordinarily poorly that day. And, and it's important to to walk through all of it. You know, you said when we were chatting before Jesse about, Hey, do we even look back on the last like year, six months, three months, final preparation, taper, those kinds of things day before night before. And then the actual, actual execution. What did, what did we do? Well, what didn't we, what will we keep? What will we throw out? And even the things that we went, went really well, do we keep them and keep them the same or do we progress them? That's another question too. So I think lots of good things to dive into here. So excited to have you here for this, Kurt. Yeah, I'm super stoked to talk about it. It's a lot of stuff. You've already brought up a lot of things. You got my head spinning. And, <laughs> I always do that too. Yeah, guys. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's all good. It's 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 really really good. But I mean, I think about all those same things all the time. Is like, even even the, the figuring in emotion. You know, I feel like the emotion is is whether it's good or bad. Whether the athlete had a successful day or a less successful day. Sometimes the actual response is the same, right? If they if they had a great day. They're like, let's do more. So it's a greater day. And if they had a not so great day, they're like, I need to do more. Even if that wasn't the problem. And it's like, I call it like X or X plus 10. Like X was working pretty well, but now we're going to just make it plus 10. And sometimes that plus 10 can be this sort of, you know, proverbial dagger, you know, it can end someone's season or whatever. So it's like, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely think there's a, a, an emotional component. I mean, racing is emotional, right? We get fired up. There's that thing that, that bell curve called the optimal state of arousal. And like, you don't just like yawn on the starting line and be like, Oh, I guess we're going to race 140 miles today. Like you're fired <laughs> up. A good sign. It's it's yeah. If you're, if you have that, then you're in trouble. Um, so I think like, like, you know, talking about the timing of the emotion, especially for self coached, like they need to really be mindful of that. Cause they don't have someone to necessarily vent on. It might be their wife or their partner or someone else or 
but like someone who's done the events and or coached the events, we truly understand it. We're like, we get it. Like you're, you're super stoked. You just smashed it. You, you podiumed, you kind of qualified, you whatever, or you kind of poop the bed and it's going to be a long drive home and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be stewing for a few weeks. So um, I think that's just as important as the sort of, you know, the, the, the data side and the sort of like the bullet points of like, I did this well and not so well. The other thing too, to also though, I think we should add to the conversation is when you as a coach is watching the performance and you're like, yes, man, they killed it. And then you talk to the athlete and they go, man, that I'm really disappointed in that. And so like understanding where those disconnects might be, and that, that ties into the emotional side that you just um, brought up there as well as it's like, you know, maybe what the athlete felt and how it went versus how, you know, everybody else, including the coach sees the performance when has, how does that line up? And when we go through the debrief of things, making sure that that the athletes seeing things the right way and, and, you know, takes away the right points and the right takeaways to keep moving forward. Cause ultimately we do these races and we debrief them so that we can keep getting better. Right. That's the reason to do it. It's like, we want to, we want to learn from it and then learn something and we want to get better. So that's like the main, the main thing there. And it is, it is always, I always get a little, a little taken back. Like, Oh God, when I'm like, yes, they, they did so great there. And then you talk to them they're like, that was, I, I did terrible. And you're like, wait, what? I don't understand. Um, now we got a lot of, a lot of things we got to dive through and, and really now you got to really find some pinpoint things to prove to them that they did well. So, so I think that's a, a part of the conversation too. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about how we get started. I feel like for me, I actually almost start the race debrief before the race happens, where I look at the training that's gone into the race and we have those conversations the night before the race or the couple of days before the race where we kind of say, okay, like, this is what you've been doing for, you know, X amount of time. This is what our expectations are. And so I'm kind of already going through and, and analyzing how I think I did and how I think the athlete executed the training of, you know, like short picture, like the last six weeks. And then even like how their setup was coming into that six weeks. So, and I feel like that all kind of factors into what the the same conversation after the race. Right. So I don't know, for me, it kind of starts maybe that week leading up to the race, as far as like debriefing the training, even if I keep some of that in my head and don't say, Hey, I think we uh, made a few mistakes here. You're a little underprepared, but, or, or whatever. I, I don't know. For me, it kind of starts beforehand. Do you guys kind of do something similar or? Go ahead, Marilyn. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, I, I don't really know. I, I actually, no, I don't. I don't do that. What I, I, I feel like I definitely wait for the debriefing part of things. In fact, I have a really strict policy of, hey, get in touch with me right after the race because I want to hear um, – if you want to call me right on the finish line and I I'm excited, I'm watching, you know, you're excited and watching, but we're not going to debrief in that moment. My strict yeah. policy is we're going to give it at 24 to 48 hours. And then we're going to sit down. And once we've had a chance to look at things and you've had a chance to think about things and you know, you're a couple days removed, if you need to make some notes right away, great, go ahead and do that, write them down so that you don't forget them. Um, but we're going to actually go through the dive of the debrief. If someone jumps on the phone with me, right you know, that night after they finished a race and starts tearing it apart, I say, okay, that's, you know, let's tuck that in your pocket, write those notes down. Good job. Go get some rest, have some food. And we'll talk about this in a couple of days. So I actually always start my debriefing. I would say a couple of days afterwards or, or the day afterwards when we're a little bit removed from it. So. Yeah. Go, I'll go on Jesse's point just a bit is like, 
with my more advanced athletes, the athletes that I've either coached a long time or race lines, they actually write their own race plan. And so they're putting a lot of things in their own power, right? Like not necessarily like power targets or, but like what their timing looks like on arrival at the course and reconning parts of the course. And, you know, it's like, it's bullet point, like check in at 1 PM Friday dinner by five, you know, and I'm like, and then they send it to me in a word document. And I usually, I just like, it's like autopilot, just glance right through and look for any glaring issues. Like go to the sports bar at nine o'clock. What? You know, but, but it's, (laughs) so yeah, that's like the extent of it. And then there's always the pre-race job, but I'm the same as Maryland. As I said, like, I mean, I get calls all the time. I mean, I got a call Sunday afternoon. I could hear freaking Riley's voice in the background and I'm like, um, what? Yeah, no, it looks like you did really well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That was awesome. Like get back to your hotel, like get some food and a shower. Like that, that, that shower is going to sting. I know. And I've been there when the water runs down, it, it hurts like the cheating, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then, and then like the next day, like long drive home, then that's a lot, you know, like there's, there's the deeper dive and, um, gives you some time to look at the, the power files and the pace files and, and, and maybe look at the mean average of the race. Like, you know, I've all seen this, but like they go, Oh, I had a really crappy swim. And you realize like the race leader swam an hour, you know, and you're like, well, everybody had a crappy swim, you know, maybe it was a, a chop or a wind or a longer course. So, um, so yeah, as far as like the actual like nuts and bolts of the debrief, no, not like, it's like kind of a 24 hour rule, right? Like don't even like, good job. You're alive. You did great. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Click, you know, because much more than that, first off for a lot of us, you know, it's, nine o'clock at night on a Sunday and you're just like, uh, I'm not really feeling like I'm in the sort of coach mode right now. So can we just back, you know, put this on the back burner till tomorrow. And, and so I, I tend to do it a lot. People call me from Kona and it's like literally 10 30, 11 o'clock at night East coast. And I'm like, yeah, great job. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. You know? So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's two part. It's like sort of pre the, the pre-planning is part of the coaching and the guidance, but the actual debriefing, uh, I think there's definitely a 24 or 48 hour rule for sure. Yeah. What I will use Jesse is like, you obviously use the block of training that you did to make the race plan. Um, so we, you know, if we're same as what Kurt was saying is, you know, developing your race plan is going to be, be based off the training that you did and the course and your history and the way you race and the results that you want. So that might be like a piece of it that I would say is if it's somewhat similar is that we would look at, okay, well, what, what did we do in this last block of training? What were the numbers that we did when we went out to hit these sessions? Were we able to actually hit all of them? The ones that we intended to, how did it look? This is what the course looks like. This is what the conditions are going to be that day. And we'll use all of that information to set up the race plan. Um, So to me, that's sort of like a front end planning type thing. And then the actual debriefing part is like, okay, well, how did, how did it go? You know, how did the, how did the test turn out? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And, um, I, I also agree with like the, the waiting time, it is important to give athletes that, I guess, um, talk to them right after and, and let that emotional side come out, but it's hard to, to glean anything real right after a race. Right. Um, even for myself, I, I don't like to think about or have any real conversations about a race that I just had until I let it sink in because, I don't, I don't really think clearly about it for the, like, yeah, 24, 48 hours. Um, so then when you do have that actual conversation, like a couple of days later, the race is sunk in athletes have kind of come to their own conclusions about the race. What do you like to start with in, in that conversation? Do you have like, um, like Marilyn, you said you have a, a form you make, you have athletes use to debrief with. 
Yeah, a long time ago, I, I went ahead and um, just made an actual point by point, you know, especially for beginners. Like you said, if, if you're new to the sport or some people just like those, you know, guidelines to follow and you're wondering, okay, how, how do we actually do this? Like, how am I going to actually debrief? I actually went ahead and made a, a specific form for that. So if someone's a little lost and they're not sure in my guidelines page on my website, I put it up there for free. If, if someone's like, how do I actually debrief a race? What am I trying to pull from it? How do we, what's the emotional side? What's the data side of things? That's just a good starting point. So for newer athletes or people who just like those kinds of guides, I created that, uh, yeah, well over 10 years ago. And, um, and then, you know, some people, as they get more experience, they debrief in different ways. And as a coach, it's your job to accommodate and, and figure out what's going to work best for them to get the most out of learning from that experience. So, so everything from a very specific, ask yourself these questions to, you know, someone's, if you've been working with them a long time, has got a lot of experience, it might be, you know, just their thoughts or, or phone call or, you know, but I, I definitely always like my athletes to write things down, write it all down, send it in an email, and then let's go through it and compare it to the files afterwards so that we've got a record of it. I like having a, a written record because those written records, like our training logs, is really important to go back to from race to race and, and remember like, oh, remember you felt this way about this last race. And then going forward in the planning as well as the next race you might do. Because if we just have a conversation on the phone, that's gone. That's gone after that conversation. And your memory of it is only as you remembered it. And so like I say, we got to, whether you follow the guideline or you actually just point it out, or if it's in your training peaks or whatever it is, we, we need a written record of what you're actually thinking. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, first off, I'll probably go steal that form from Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I, people always tell me that they're like, I use the forms after you're I'm like, perfect. That's why I put them there. They're there for free for people to use. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, isn't a good coach just kind of like Robin Hood, right? Like stealing from the rich to give to the poor. I mean, that's Go what, for it. That's like, what it's there for. <laughs> I've been on some, I've been on some calls with some other coaches and they were like, ah, oh, I'm like, are you claiming you just like invented that? I'm like, come on, give me a break. You know, but, but yeah, absolutely. Like, um, uh, bullet point yeah. email to me and then a follow-up call. I, what I do, and again, you guys can steal this cause it's groundbreaking is I have like on my desktop, I and I just have like a folder and it is each one of my athletes with a name and it's literally a run-on Word document. And I literally cut and paste that straight into that Word document. So like for athletes I've coached for 13, 14, 15 years, it's just page after page and I date it. So like I could literally scroll back, it would take me a long time, but I could scroll back and find that race report and I just cut and paste it verbatim out of their email into that Word document and like, and then I just hit save and like, this goes back slightly off track, but often I'll do that even with phone conversations about other random stuff. Like I just, you know, Buttigieg, you know, Joe Blow calls me on July 29th, you know, slash uh, uh, achy hamstring. And I'll just put that in there. And then, you know, but because this is what we're talking about before is like that short-term memory is so horrible for athletes and they're just constantly like, you know, like I said, if it was, it, you know, if we stopped doing these sports when they hurt, we would have stopped the first time we did a hard interval session or hard, we just like, we don't like this, but, but um, yeah. So, I mean, it's usually I tell them on the plane ride home or on the car ride home, if you're not driving, bust out your laptop, queue up an email with just bullet points of like, eat this at three 30, had a gel at this, swim went like this, you know, blah, 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 this transition. And, and it doesn't really even matter that event. I may not do that for like a small event, like a 45 minute cyclocross race or for a, uh, a sprint triathlon, but for anything, it's like an, 
A or A plus level race that is long enough in duration that, that they need to sort of get that stuff on paper quick. That's exactly how I do it. And then that will follow up with the sort of actual debrief. If it's someone local, which is pretty rare these days, like it could be a face-to-face -face meeting. Um, more usually it's it's a phone call with like their race screen open and whatever method you use looking at the data files or you know whatever they provided for you and then you can kind of break it down and be like oh tell me what happened here at you know mile 35 of the bike there's you know five minutes above threshold there or something you know and they're like oh i, I was getting into a pissy match with this guy because he was drafting me like, oh okay well let's not do that again you know so um so yeah it's i think that's spot on exactly kind of how i do the same thing i don't have a formal form because I'm just not as organized, but that's that's an awesome way to do it. And it's it probably would make my life easier, you know, if I did. So I like to take the the race reports and if they're not already there, I like to put them in training peaks so that I have them there to scroll back through them. Yeah. Um and then yeah, then I can find them pretty easily. And um and I, I push my athletes to kind of use that as as a good place for back and forth. Um, because then I always know where it is. Um but yeah, I I think it's definitely good to have athletes write things down because even write things down like that, that night after the race and then look at what they wrote, add to it the next day and kind of have it be like a, a running collection. Because I think that what you remember right after what you remember the next day, what you remember 48 hours after is, is all going to be fairly different. And you, it'd be a shame if you forgot something that you kind of wanted to talk about because you w waited too long to write it down. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, let's uh, talk about a little bit. What do you? How do you guys use all of the metrics and and data to be a part of the race debrief? I mean, there's the obvious stuff, right? I mean, if an athlete is racing way outside themselves, of past anything that they've practiced in training, or and then and then they blow up. Well, those are obvious things. You can see that in the data with heart rate and power and paces and all of those things. So those are really basics, but. Um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on what, like when it gets, you know, there's so much now, there's so much data, how much do you use to compare back to the training and then how the race actually unfolded and, and what do you do with that afterwards? I think it, it really depends on the athlete and, and the race and how the race plays out. I think like, I definitely, you know, you kind of glance at everything, but you know, like there are things like heart rate that's going to be kind of all over the board and whatever else. But I think I tend to look more for like the critical moments in the race and then say, okay, like what happened here and, and look at maybe why that happened. And then I'll maybe do a deep dive in that area and, and look back at the training for that. And, and yeah, I kind of like to, to parse it out and in, into that and say, okay, like your heart rate started to, to lag here. And then it kind of continually dropped. So what happened before that point that, that made that happen? Um, I don't know if I answered your question or just kind of talked for a while, but. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are, I mean, those, yeah, no, that answers the question, right? That's a, those are different points that you use, you know, you're saying, okay, I'm looking at it and you know, was your heart rate dropping because you weren't able to continue the effort because you were bonking? Like, let's talk about your nutritionist at this point. Was it, you know, obviously if they were pacing right, but they just weren't able to continue the pace, were you just um, from a muscular standpoint breaking down and you weren't able to keep the effort up, not because the pace was, wasn't there, but you just couldn't keep going that late in the day. Like there's all of these questions that for me, I think it, what I'm hearing you say is the data is prompting you to ask them questions that might dive into 
why something happened. I mean, the data to you is, is the obvious, like that, this is what happened in this moment. Let's talk about this. This is our talking point now. What, what was actually going on here? And like you'd said, you know, if you see someone went five minutes over threshold and they did that three or four times early in the race, and then they later in the day didn't quite have the power to continue up the climb really well, then you could say, well, you know, what was happening in that moment that made you make that decision? So they're, they're talking points for you is, is what you're saying, how you use them. Um, yeah. If I understand that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Kurt? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of like, I, I think you have to, before you like even start to break down the file or look at the files, you have to understand like what were the atmospheric conditions on the day. Um, that's going to affect the bike and the run for sure. Obviously. Um, what is the level of the athlete and the level of the event, right? Like as you guys as well know, like if, if a guy wants to be like top five at Kona in his age group, he's going to race it a lot different than he did 15 years ago. You know, I mean, I coached the guy that won the age group race in 2007. His plan was very, structured on the bike and the run knowing that kind of get a best average now with the sort of draft packs happening for long course um you know now if you look at the power file of like a front and pack age grouper it looks like almost like a road race for the first 50 or 60k you know they're surging through they're playing that sort of game but like yeah breaking down like a like a basic ironman for a good front of the pack amateur i mean i'm going to look at you know how close they were to the target i may look at I'm definitely gonna look at the variability index and I'm gonna look at sort of the decoupling from like the first half to the second half. And sometimes that's planned in if it's gonna get hot, you know, we say, hey, we know that you're gonna have to back off as the temperature comes up above, you know, high 70s, low 80s. Um, and then, you know, yeah, I'm looking at like maybe a direct correlation between that heart rate and, you know, if the pace, as power's going down and the heart rate's going up, I'm like, oof, you know, maybe we were, a, we were a little overly aggressive on those numbers. And then the second or the final validation is, what did they run relative to what you think they should run for like a standalone marathon, you know, and there's probably a Delta there based off their ability. Like, you know, if you can run an easy three hour marathon and you run four fifteen, you probably maybe should have saved five or 10 minutes on a bike to gain back 30 or 40 minutes on the run. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't break it down like sort of minute by minute, but I have like a basic understanding. And then that, as Jesse said, it prompts me. I had an athlete who had a quite a high variability on the second lap of Ironman and said, there were these four guys that were drafting and I was trying to get away from them. So, you know, like going back to that sort of win or learn mentality, it's like, just let those guys do what they want to do. They're either going to get a penalty or they're not, and you can't control them. So like just ride your own race. And so, um, yeah, so I definitely look at like all those sort of simple available metrics and then cross-reference them when I know about the day, you know, if it was 90 degrees at Placid, you're going to see a lot of different stuff, especially late in the run. And if it's a 55 and cloudy day at Placid or I'm using Placid example, but that's, that's my, you know, that's like fresh in my brain. And so, um, yeah. And then like I said, I don't, I don't go like sort of, you know, depth via analysis on this stuff because first off, usually the athlete doesn't want to hear it. They just want to know like how to fix it. You know, they're like, okay, great. Like, how do I just not do that again? You're like, okay, sweet. Let's address this by doing this, that, and the other down the road. Yeah, I am. Um, one thing that I find uh, I just recently did with an athlete that raced is, you know, they actually their preparation was really, really good into the race. And when we looked at their data in the race, it, they didn't race outside of in terms of swim and bike outside of what we had practiced in training. Um, preparation for handling the dynamic of the race, as well as 
pacing and numbers that they had been well-trained to do and were really ready and, and um, nutrition was spot on. So we dove through that. So these are all the debriefing nutrition was really good, handled it really well. So you're looking at that and then you're scratching your head going, well, what happened? You know, we're trying to figure out like what might've happened with the run because the run didn't go as we had hoped or planned or know what is possible, what we've been doing in training. So one of the things that I, that I went and looked at, and I don't know if, you know, you look at this or if this is even something to look at, but I went through all of the, you know, all of the long, hard rides in Ironmans for most of the men are going to be somewhere between 42 and 4,600 kilojoules, depending on the course and the size of the athlete. But that's going to be like a male pro Ironman. And if you look at most of, I went back through all of his rides and although we were getting the quality and the durations based on some of the rides, they're just, there was, I'm sort of two-sided about it. I was thinking about it as a coach. I was like, well, you can't do too many of those 4,000 kilojoule rides in training because the athlete's going to be overtrained and smoke because that's a really high energy ride, right? So how many do we of those do we do in training in order to be prepared to handle that kind of ride and be able to run well off of it without the athlete being smoked? But was there really enough of them that we got close enough? Or maybe was it too long ago that there was one at that level or over too far away from the race. So we can sort of look at, I, I kind of, that's one metric that I've looked at before for really elite athletes and going, did we miss time? I, like I say, obviously we wouldn't want to do too many of those, but was there sort of a missed timing as far as how many that we did, or was the ones that we did too far away from the actual race? So then the, the run legs were taken away, even though the volume was there and the intensity was there in the actual rides. If you looked at the, if you just looked at the plan itself, you'd be like, wow, this person's hitting like five hour rides, four and a half hour rides with plenty of work in them, lots of intensity, um, intensity appropriate to their, the dynamic of their race and all of those things. And you think, you know, oh, well, I can't see anything wrong here. The power numbers look the same. The heart rates all look the same. Everything looks in line. What did we miss? And that was the one metric I noticed. I was like, that looks off to me. It looks like we just missed the mark too far away a couple of times. I don't know if, I mean, tell me, you, I'm interested in from a, your coaching perspectives of, of what you think of that, because that's really specific to an elite, going to be an elite age group or elite, you know, elite racer. I, um, yeah, I guess I've had, I've noticed similar things, especially when athletes do a 70.3 leading into an Ironman and it's a little too close. And so we don't have enough time to kind of build back up in between. And then I'm like, oh, that means that your big ride is like, or your biggest ride is now like four weeks out or something. And that's like, maybe they don't get quite as much of that fitness bump, but the 70.3 to have that endurance for, for the Ironman. So then, yeah, I, I've seen that before where I'm like, um, kind of like, oh man, I, that 70.3 wasn't as well-timed as it could have been because, you know, say it's like two weeks out or something. And, and then all of a sudden you kind of got to go four weeks out for that long ride. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a little too far away. Um, I, I don't look at kilojoules as often, but I've definitely, yeah, I've seen that for, for like the big rides where I, yeah, it's been pushed back a little too far. Yeah. The, the whole kilojoules thing is like, that's, that's sort of next level. And also like kind of very European, you know, they don't use a lot of our totally CSS and I only I mean, use it with very specific people, by the way, not, no, no, not, no, no. not I, with I, everyone, but just yeah. 
certain circumstances. When you're looking at everything and everything else matches and right. you're going like, well, every, literally every other data point totally. matches. It's like if all the dots connect, but there's like still one not connecting. That's where I went anyway. So sorry. No, no, yeah, no, it is a good one. <laughs> I love it. And I'll tell you right now, right? Like we didn't have a metric other than kilojoules until what, 2004, 2005, 2000. So like my first coaches, when I was first got power meter in 1998, it was all done off of like, you know, there's prescribed intervals, but a lot of those intervals were done like this, right? As easy as you want till you get to 2000 kilojoules. Right. So we you can go noodle around, you know, you can just go noodle around. And I, I literally today, I put in, I call them in like a burn-in type of session where with some people with some half Ironmans coming up, I say, just, just burn kilojoules for 3000 or for, for three hours. Like, I don't care if you ride at 0.6 or 0.7, or if you want to ride 0.8, that, that's crazy. And then do three times, 10 minutes at like 90% of threshold. So that way, like a, you're tapping in a lot of fast doors B and we're kind of going off a sidetrack on training here. B the mental toughness there, right? Like it's hard now, right? Like go ride a few thousand kilojoules and start doing some work. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that's a great thing. I've never looked too much at it, but it's definitely something I would consider cross-referencing down the road, especially for the higher level folks. Like, you know, people contact us all the time. They go, well, I've done a five hour ride. And you're like five hour ride doing what? sauce you know noodling around at 0.55 or in a group ride where you're coasting for two hours of the, the ride like so i mean the kilojoules is like a true sign of work being done and it's also like if they haven't done enough of those and burn that in it's a shock to the system right when you do get off the bike at 4300 kilojoules and you're like holy crap i have to run a marathon now <laughs> like I'm, that's I'm, what I say. Like it definitely isn't for for every athlete or like but it's like when every other point that you look at like heart rate and power and execution of the race and the actual training numbers and hours and miles and like intensity is all lining up and you're looking at it going you know yeah. what do we just yeah. you just go oh i don't know it just so then but i'm a little bit more stubborn than that. i'm like it's got to be something there's got to be something there that just got a little bit more you know got missed right. and that was the one thing i was like i think that might have been it so I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's, I had a, uh, kind of a, a similar sticking point where I was stuck for a while and it was the swim to bike transition that like growing up a swimmer, I like, I tend to like disregard the swim in my mind. Like you just do it and then, and then you're done and then you move on to the actual race. And I, I kind of forget the impact that it has on all, how people feel after that. And, um, yeah, an athlete whose like legs were trashed from, kicking like a crazy to try and stay on feet and like bike power was just plummeted. And, you know, it took a long time to like figure out that it was over kicking because I'm just like, what well, you just, you just swim and then you move on. Like, what do you, what do you mean? You're tired from the swim. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't know, but yeah. And that's, that's one thing I don't tend to emphasize a lot in training. I don't know if you guys do a lot of swim bike breaks with your athletes. Um, they're just not, I've done it definitely with athletes, but like, it's just usually not logistically feasible that often right. it's such so a when, pain. when it's possible. I have, def, you know, and there's been certain times I've been adamant that it was absolutely necessary, but it's usually not something I include just because usually my response from the athlete is I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to drive my bike to the pool. I'm not and, do it, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's but, a very, it's a very ITU thing, right? Like if you can get a pool deck to yourself and bring your trainers, then more power, <laughs> you, but you know, for the average schmuck who's like kind of like load his Cervelo in the back of his Mazda MX-5 and then unload it. Like, you know, by the time he like gets unloaded and has all his gear on, the sort of 
training doses over. You're like, it's been 20 minutes, bro. Just go home yeah. and put clothes and eat something, you know, and like yeah. ride your bike. So it is, I have one athlete I'm trying to implement some right now. And I think she like chains her bike to a tree at some pond in Massachusetts and then like runs <laughs> that. And she says, and you know, then the beauty of like going back to Jess's point, and then I can actually program in like five to eight minutes at race pace. Like the workout is only like 20 minutes long. We just do like five to eight minutes at race pace and cool down for 12 minutes. And she rides back to her car and goes about the rest of her day. Nice. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how she pays off. But yeah, those, I mean, the number of times we've all heard that, right? Like I felt like death, you know, we're not all swimmers like you, Jesse. So like you know, we felt like death for the first 20 minutes of the bike. It's yeah, it's, it's common it's, that logistically that's so hard to, to program in. So um, I used to do when I was training actually when I lived in Boulder is that every Saturday we would do a long course. Uh, it was like a really tough long course session at Scott Carpenter pool, like four or five K swim. And then we all had all our stuff in our, in our cars or actually just rode our bikes to, to the swim practice and then, um, stashed our stuff in our pockets and then would head out onto the, you know, onto the long ride that day and then run off the bike. And it was basically, you were training from, you know, six 30 in the morning till about four in the afternoon, one right after the other. So even though we, you know, didn't have trainers and set up, you know, bikes on trainers, like, you know, I've definitely seen done that with the ITU athletes, the college program, that kind of stuff. But for the long course, we would just literally go straight from, long course masters straight onto our bikes out on our bikes all day and then and then run off the bike so um it is it is possible if people want it bad enough yeah that's sort of we got sidetracked from the race debriefing yeah. but those are yeah, good we're, anyways. <laughs> we're, we're tangenting all over the place today i'm sorry um all right so let's get back to the heavy hitters we want to cover in in our race debrief like I think one of the things we talked about earlier is nutrition. And I think that's, that's gotta be something that you roll through from the days before to how it actually played out on the race, because I think that can be a domino that can affect, you know, everything further down the line of the race. Um, I'm sure you guys do the same talk about nutrition in your debrief. Um, and I guess like, as far as race execution, do you, do you have like a standard list of questions? Do you just look at like how the race played out and, and look for those, I guess, like critical moments in the race um, and then have, have those conversations with the athlete. And then, like you said, take notes and put them somewhere. So you have those notes or Marilyn, you look like you were like, wanted to say something. Oh yeah. No, I'm just saying like, again, like going back to that form that I made, it's, you know, and like, like we we're saying, none of this stuff is, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel or anything. So the, the, the critical success indicators, you know, that's a, that's a really big one, obviously describing like, what did you, what did you take away from the race? What did you do? Well, what did you, you know, what did you feel like you didn't? I actually asked my athletes to give an, an overall performance grade. Um, I find that helpful for people to say like, well, how did I actually do today? And just put like a blanket. Well, it was a B, you know, it was a C, it was an A an A plus that kind of thing. Um, what were the actual results? And that can be, you know, performance, overall ranking percentage of your best performances before. What did you learn, positive and negative? What are we going to do using the SMART, um, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based? Um, so, you know, you can be really specific with that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and like, again, I said, I, I made that form so that it is it isn't reinventing the wheel, but they're really specific questions about what are the important things to to ask important questions to ask yourself and then take moving forward. So we start with that, start with that, and then look at the data. And then we talk about like all the emotions attached to all of that. Yeah. This forum sounds like the bee's knees. I'm going to have to check it out, but it's, um, 
it's uh i mean a lot of the same stuff like the, the kpis you know key performance indicators that you know like would be successful at those events are talked about a little bit before and then obviously like did we hit those um you know i'm looking through the bullet points of the athlete that say and i'm like at the bottom usually i, put, I haven't put a summary like this close as they can remember to like nutritional numbers right like total show per hour estimate on fluid ounces and electrolytes and then again i'm like I, in my brain i'm like okay it was 72 and kind of muggy so that should have hit all those numbers and we you know we go over like did you have any gi stress um when did the gi stress start what did anything alleviate the gi stress um and then um yeah and then like then there's a lot of questions of like sort of like grading yourself like what did you like you know like overall like is give yourself a grade but more importantly like is there some glaring thing we really need to fix because what i find too with athletes is kind of like this numerical thing of of number of events done right like the first time they make you know 25 mistakes for we're talking specifically about iron man here and the second time it might be like 12 mistakes hopefully by the third time it's three or four right it's like and those three or four mistakes are like little teeny little ones like oh my sock wasn't rolled up when i put it on for the run and it took me an extra two seconds or something not like you know i i didn't eat for the first 60 miles of the bike or something you know so um Man, I wish, <laughs> I wish my learning curve was that steep. I'm still like the 25 mistakes second. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I mean that. I mean, again, like I said, I mean, that, then you need to keep better track of that stuff, just because that's that's like unacceptable. But no, it, I, I tell people, I think it comes in like a a, a, number, a sort of a groups of three, right? Like the execution gets better in groups of three, and um, so I'm asking them to like kind of grade themselves. I'm asking them to sort of um, uh, go through and sort of break down any of the sort of major things again the minor things that especially in iron man like even something like in the old days when draft call if you got like a draft penalty that you didn't think was fair it was only a two-minute penalty i was like if you get a draft call it sucks you, you can argue with the guy give you a red flag blah 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 go to the tent stand there for two minutes drink some drink maybe stretch your back and carry on it's not going to affect your day a lot you know what i mean like maybe the group you're with but it's more like the macro level stuff right like did you completely like run the first 10 miles 40 seconds too fast, you know, and, and I can see that right here on the thing. What were you thinking during that period? You know, and they're like, Oh, I was, you know, I saw a guy with the same age on his calf. Um, they don't actually even do that now because of COVID there's no body marking, but the bottom line is like, I was chasing this guy and I got overly aggressive. And then my favorite line, which I'm sure you guys have all heard a million times and I'm so they will like monetize. This is it felt so easy. <laughs> like, well, yeah, mile 80 of the bike. It should feel pretty easy you know and like they're like it, it felt so easy until i'm like if that until comes at mile 22 then we're having a great day like we're we're going to manage mental toughness for four miles if if it if the until comes at yeah uh you know the final section of the bike course at placid heading to transition it's going to be a really long marathon so we try and figure out where that until comes you know and i tell them it's for the newer folks it's like a invisible line on the road like you're running and it may not be fast and all of a sudden you just step over this line and you go holy crap this just got really really hard i don't feel good and again if that's like coming back into town on lap two then kudos to you you're gonna be an iron man you're gonna have a great time you're gonna have a great result if it happens as you're leaving t2 then it's gonna be a really long marathon you know and you're gonna suffer so um yeah i mean i try to i don't i don't have anything as quite as formal as as maryland does but i try to like get just enough data that they keep their attention and then more subjective stuff. Like, tell me about this, tell me about this, you know, tell me about when your stomachs went south or whatever. So. I do think it's important in, in 
in particular, it seems like I sound old saying this in this day and age, but I do think it's important to um, stay connected to take two things away, you know, take two good things away and two things you want to work on because we can go into that like paralysis by analysis or whatever, right? Like you just can pick yourself apart to death where you're literally just standing there going, well, I might as well quit, you know, <laughs> or like, I don't even know where to start from here because there's going to be, like you said, all kinds of things that happen on race days. And some things are going to, you're going to outperform anything you ever thought. And some are going to maybe fall a little behind, but if you can pick two things that you learned that you're like, that went really well. I had an athlete just contact me today that did Elf Duez and she, you know, the, the, the bike wasn't great, but she was, she, her whole point was I'm stoked. Cause I finally, I ran really well. And that's what she's taking away from it. She's like, I just completely altered my confidence on executing running long off the bike. Cause I ran great today. And that's literally all she, that mattered to her that day. And that's great. And so we're going to leave it at that because we don't, we don't need to pick apart why the bike wasn't great and all these other things. She didn't navigate well in the swim, whatever. She had a great run that day. So let's just leave it at that. And let's look at, you know, why did the run go great? And, and we're just going to take that one thing away. So, you know, again, my point is saying, let's just pick two, two great things and two things you want to work on and then take that and move forward so that we don't, we don't end up, um, overdoing it and, and changing sort of that, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to change everything. We just maybe need to learn one thing. Yeah. I always have that problem when I'm giving like, uh, some advice or some lessons I, I want to tell everybody like 15 things to work on. <laughs> and I need to like, just sit there and like s swallow my words and say, yeah, like one or two things you can handle. And I think, yeah, race is the same way. Like pick the two biggest heavy hitters and say, these are the two things I'm going to focus on for next race. Nail those two things. And then hopefully someday I'll be down to the three or four mistakes Kurt's talking about, but not there yet, but <laughs> I, I maybe I still got time. I've coached a lot of kids sports over the last 10 years as my kids have like cycled through a trillion different sports. And this kind of like, people do look to us for some kudos here or there, you know? And like, as Marilyn said, like sometimes just picking that out. I mean, I use like, it's, I think it's called like the sandwich method where you maybe want to pick out like one or two things that aren't so good, but in there, like you put a good thing, you know, it's like, Oh, your variability was 25%, but you know, you had the fastest T2 of anyone in your age group, you know? And then like, but let's talk about like when the run went south here, you know? So you always have to kind of like make sure that there's are in there. And I think it's important. I think it's even if you're self coach athlete, right? Cause I'm sure as you guys know, people that come to us for guidance or who do these sports, there's no non type A's, you know, they're all type A's, you know, people, people contact me for coaching. They go just, I mean, if it's, if it helps, I'm a type A. I'm like, I've never not coached a type A. I mean, they're all, everyone's a type A. Like you, you do these sports, you're not a type A. Like you won't last in these sports if you're not a type A. So like sometimes- they darts still, or something. I don't know, maybe dart people are a type A as well, but yeah, <laughs> maybe. do a triathlon, that's for sure. No, and, but they still, I, I still have come to the conclusion that like, you gotta just say, hey, that was a great job. You really nailed that run. Like your, your person in race off to us, like that's freaking killer. Like it's finally to put that together. Like now we can work backwards and get the bike a little bit better in line. And next, you know, you've got both of them nailed and you're racing X minutes faster, you know? So, um, this is something for me, who's like, comes from like the sports science side and like, likes the quantum side has taken some more work for me to work on when dealing with my, um, athletes, like that there is this emotional connection to the sports and emotional connection to, um, racing and emotional connection to their coaches, you know, and you have to just be like, man, you freaking slayed it. That was awesome. You know, like it's, you know, it was your first Ironman, you got 11 in your age group. Like that's fantastic. You know, even if they think like, 
I screwed the pooch on the bike. I sucked on the run. My, I threw up in the gutter. You're like, doesn't matter. You smashed it. You know, like that was a great day. And so it's, uh, I, that's also included in there. I try to be better about doing that is, is, you know, rewarding that stuff with just a few kind words. Cause I think that that gets them up. You know, as a, I think as, as Blumenfeld said, after uh, I saw in Strava, after he won the gold medal, he ran like some like 13 mile run the day after he said, tomorrow starts today. And I was like, yes, it does. You know, like, it's like, you're going to rest a few days and you're going to be back racing something. So like, it's, you know, like be stoked about it and get ready to start for tomorrow, you know? Awesome. Well said. Um, do you guys, I feel like it's always easy when, or I guess not easy, but you can learn a lot when athletes make mistakes, right? Cause you can say, okay, well, there's some big things we can fix here. What about when the, the race is like seemingly really good? Or like, I guess another problem I've seen is like an athlete has really robust fitness going in so they can make a fair amount of mistakes and still do pretty well. And then it's a little harder to be like, all right, well, you know, you skated through this time because you were super fit, but like, these are still things we can learn from. Have you guys been in that situation where like, it's a really good race or it's a little harder to navigate? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, you can... I actually think you can learn the most from when things do go really well, awesome. you know, and I think it's because when something goes right, it's important to say this went right because, you know, was it the same reasons? Like, did I execute differently? Was I in a different state of mind? Was my focus a little bit different? Was, did I just eat something a little bit different that morning? Did, was my training a little bit different? Did I rest differently? And so when you hit the mark and you're like, boom, I got it. Yay. It's like, let's, let's, let's write that down. And why did that change so much from, from other times? Um, you know, what, what made that click that day? And it, it could just be one really simple thing. It could have been just the athlete was just really motivated in that moment because it was really competitive. Um, you know, the fastest marathon I ever did in an Ironman was, was not an indication of any training I had done, nor did it indicate, like from any, you know, anything that I had shown that I could do as an athlete, but I was just really, really fired up to compete that day. And so, so that was something to learn from like, oh, wow. Like when I just don't think about anything and just race because I'm there to go for, go for it. I learned I could do that. I was like, oh, wow, I can go a lot faster than what I ever thought I could. And so, so I think it's important. I actually think it's, we do learn from our mistakes and always everyone always uses that phrase. Oh, we learn from our mistakes, but I think we really learn from our successes a lot and, and sometimes more. Yeah. Win or learn, right? I've heard that phrase a million times, win or learn. And, and I think, I think you're right. I think the one thing winning I've noticed takes practice, right? Yeah. Winning takes practice. It takes, you have to oh. learn how to win yeah. it really literally. Sometimes you've got to, yeah. Once you've, so you see the people who repeat win, they've learned how to win. They have, they have that conversation. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah. No, no, I think, I think confidence breeds confidence for sure. You know, and it's, um, I also think with a lot of people who are adult onset racers, they didn't learn like Jesse in the pool, right? You probably learned how to suffer, whatever your event was, you know, something like a 400 IM or something. You learn what the last 30, 40 seconds feels like. Right. And, and I came from like BMX racing and then mountain bike racing. So like, I sort of progressed this little slider of my pain duration. And, and so when I'm deep in a race, like people say like, man, it seemed like you had a big lead, but you're still burying yourself. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to forget what that feels like. Like, I don't want to become numb to that. And, 
And so when someone puts it all together, sometimes you, especially if you're there in person, you see them, you go, I could tell you were in the hurt locker. Like you were deep, deep in the pain cave and you were like finding that happy spot and just kept pushing. Um, and so, yeah, I think like those, those re, they're usually rewarded with a really good result. And then you put it down. And again, that kind of goes into my run on word document of like, you know, I'm looking for like, how are things in their life? You know, maybe professionally, socially, family wise, because they're racing happy and they're like really content. And then what was the prep up to that? You know, and, I, and if you have like the cyclical thing of people have raced multiple Ironmans, both good and bad, and you have all that information, you can go back and be like, you know, maybe they're at this body composition. And then like three months before they went and got a special bike fit or went in the wind tunnel. And then maybe they, uh, you know, they had 16 weeks of really good preparation. And then, Hey, look at that. Like after, you know, four months of hard work, they were an overnight success on race day. And it's like, you can remind them back via the training log, whether it's training peaks or, you know, Maryland's forms, you can like say, Hey, this is what you did to race. Well, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. Like we're not trying to cure cancer here. We're trying to swim back and run really fast. And if we do it all really well, we'll probably succeed on race day, especially if we have the mental toughness to go into that, that sort of like flow state, um, out there. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't discount, you know, I'm super stoked. I'm like, this is awesome, but I, I don't discount winning as like, as part of the learning process for these sports for sure. I think where it really, really comes into play as well, uh, is any races that are tactical when you finally figure out tacticals that are successful or tactics that are sorry, that are successful. Um, that's, something to really note. So if you are a bike racer or you're racing in any fields, I mean, ITU short course and a lot of the long course races now, you know, the competitive age group races, the professional races, learning different tactics of what works and what doesn't. Yes, you learn from your mistakes, but I think that is a case where you really learn from your wins. You're like, oh, I, now I understand what it means to be patient and hide here for this amount of time and when to go. And yeah. now I know what it means to read the race and understand exactly when it is the time to put in the effort or not. And so I think, I think in that case, I actually feel like you learn more from the successes. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've seen people make the same repeat tactic mistakes over and over and over and over again, never get it. They literally never get it. They just keep making the same mistake over and over. And it is that moment when they actually feel like, Oh, that worked. Yeah. Then it sinks in. So that's like, that's uh that's wits, not just Watts. You know, you've got to have some wits sometimes and you've got to like, you know, I'm lucky. I, I came from mass start racing. So where I like there was, you know, racing on the road, racing mountain bikes. So I had to figure that out right away. Like not always the strongest person won. Um, you know, people that come to this, like long course, non-draft triathlon, it's basically a one-time time trial, right? You're basically racing the course and the distance at that point. And so, you know, the trick, learning some of that trickery and then, you know, I feel like it's flip, it's easier to go that way. Like, oh, I can try and go faster right here without pedaling my bike. Like that's zero Watts, but I'm actually accelerating. Like, hmm, okay. I'm going to use that because why would I pedal when I not pedal or, or I can run a better tangent here, or I can sit on this guy's shoulder and wait for him to like show some level of weakness. And so, yeah, I mean, those are all things. And, and it's part of the learning process, I think for the athlete, where you try to teach them those things, you put them in situations, right? Like whether it's, you know, racing something other than a long course triathlon, like get a gravel bike and go try and make the front pack of a gravel event and, and feel what it feels like to, to jostle for position or go, run a local huge 5k in new England. We have all these massive five, you know, in the summer, these huge running events that are like, that are just massive. And, and, you know, you can go there and really sort of 
test your central governor. Like, what does discomfort feel like? Well, run a really hard 5K with, you know, 6,000 people on a Saturday in Boston and, and, and push yourself. So, um, yeah, it's, it is. I mean, all these things are like the, the beauty of these sports that I love that, like, there's an like intimate or a, a, a infinite number of like things to look at and look like what truly is peak performance and how do you get there? And it's, you know, even if someone wins their age group in Ironman, you're like, man, could we have done faster? Like what, what could we have done? Like what little things could we have done? You know, how we shave a minute off here or shave 30 seconds off here. And um, that's the stuff that keeps me coming back as both an athlete and coach. And hopefully it keeps the athletes coming back because that's the stuff I love. You know, that's like the marginal gain stuff and all that other fun stuff. That's, you know, that's so awesome to play with. I'll actually just share a real quick story. I know we're getting towards the ends of things, but it was, it's in line with what you're saying. Um, if I'm dating myself a little bit, but for the people listening who have been around a little while and hopefully people who follow the history of the sport, remember Chrissy Wellington as one of the, you know, the, the turning points in women's racing for sure in long course triathlon, she really lift the game of the sport. And she came here to Tucson. I was good friends with her, trained with her in lots of training camps. And she came here to Tucson and it was before she, um, she was getting ready for Hawaii. She had won, she had set world records, all of these things. And we were just riding along and she looked at me and she goes, man, I feel like I've done everything I possibly can in the past. I really don't know how I'm going to get any faster. <laughs> she's, you know, she's like, she's like, she was trying to do that debrief thing where she was like, you know, I haven't been beaten. I've got the world record. I've gone, I've done everything in training. Like what is going to be that next thing that I, she, and she, she just looked at me with this honest look on her face and goes, I don't actually know what it is that I'm going to do to go any faster than what I've been doing, but everybody expects me to go faster. And you know what she did, she did go faster. So she figured it out. But I think um, that's just like a fun little story to share that no matter what level you're at, whether you're just starting out brand new or you're literally have never been beaten and you're changing the game of the sport, you're looking at yourself going like, well, I just won this and I'm the fastest person on earth at this right now, but how, you know, I don't know how I'm going to go faster, but somehow you dive through things and dig in deep and explore all these things emotionally, physically, tactically, you know, uh, what training wise, every, every aspect of it and say like, where can I squeeze out just that little bit more? So that's, you know, it's cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point to, to emphasize that we can, we can all always get a little bit faster. And, and I think that that tactical stuff where you might not think it does roll over into long course, I think you really can learn a lot about, about yourself and, and like you're talking about, like your, your RPE and, and what you can do to go harder and what you can't do. And that, I think that can definitely carry over to, to long course racing and, and yeah, embracing that mindset that we can always all do something to get a little bit faster. I tell people when they contact me, I'm like, my goal is to make you more fit, but ultimately my goal is to make you faster. Like, you know, if a 57 year old guy comes and he's kind of tapped out his genetic potential, then I start looking at everything with a fine tooth comb, you know, whether it's his daily like self-care stuff, whether it's his equipment, whether it's his race, nutrition, race tactics, and you know, like their FTP may not go up at all, or their VDOT may not change at all, but if they race faster then I feel like I've done my job as the coach, you know, it's not necessarily about like, Oh, you know, like I'm not dealing with, you know, 22 year old guys living in training camps that can sort of, sort of cyclically improve based off of physiology. So yeah, I mean, I, I always tell my people like our goal is to go faster. How do we go faster? You know, and it's, it's, that's part of the fun, right? Like whether it's equipment, tactics, nutrition, race strategies. And, and, and that's why, again, like keeping good logs, keeping good training uh, or racing reports is all super important because 
um, you know, there's nothing to like, I mean, I'm in my fifties now. So like my goal is to like whip up on the young guys, you know, like that's always my goal is, you know, use a little bit of wits to, to, to try to, uh, you know, put the wood to the young guys. So. I like it. Yeah. Always good to solve for speed. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for chatting with me on race debriefing and, and we went on some fun tangents there. I, I appreciated, I appreciated it and, and your time. Thanks guys. That was super fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me anytime. It was, that was a blast. Awesome. Thanks for joining.